All right. Good morning, everyone. This is the day that the Lord has made. All right. Well, guess what? We are going to be hosting the Lord of Lords this morning. The King of Kings. Others may not understand what we're doing when we're praising and worshiping. But this is the history of faith. You remember the, David when he danced before the ark of the Lord and his wife who had grown up in the house of Saul didn't seem to understand the reason for his abandonment, the reason for his humility. And, uh, and she, was, she was a part of that culture all of, her, all of her days, but she still didn't understand what he was doing. Well, the same is true. People may not understand that we are worshiping a God that is real, a God that lives. Not only that, but a God who is longing to manifest his presence amongst his people. So let's worship him with all of our hearts, knowing that he inhabits the praises of his people. Can you say amen? All right, let's stand up together and worship him. For 2,000 years, the church has been told to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are here today because we believe not only that we are going to live forever in eternity, but we pray and declare your kingdom come because we understand it is God's objective to not just bring us there, but for heaven to come here. And I say to you, let it be today according to your faith. Do we actually believe that when we pray your kingdom come, there is an outcome, there is a change, there is a shift. Release your sound this morning. Release your faith. Reach out to heaven and believe that something of eternity can enter this room, that something transcendent can begin to occur as we worship. As we were worshiping there, I was thinking of David. We know the encounter he had on that field on that day. But I wonder what is it that causes a man, a young man, somebody not really at the moment endued with any particular responsibility for the nation, but he steps into a moment and he has the conviction and the fortitude and the faith to say, I'm gonna take this battle on. I mean, if it wasn't faith, if it wasn't God, it was dire presumption. But he goes on that battlefield and he begins to articulate what's about to happen. He boldly says, this is what my God is going to do. Now, he's actively involved. He's stepping onto that field. He's the one that's assuming responsibility. And yet he realizes at the same time that this is a a co-work He is partnering with God because he's stepping onto the field, but God's going to do this. God is going to deliver you into my hands. 
But let me tell you this. If he hadn't spoken, if he hadn't stepped up, if he hadn't believed, nothing would have happened. Where do we get the fortitude? Where do we get the conviction? Where do we get the sense of responsibility to step into moments like that? I tell you, it doesn't come from your neighbor. It doesn't come from permission from an usher. It doesn't come from a form of church that says, now it's time for you to... It doesn't come from any of those things. It comes from inside of you. It comes from the kingdom of God. It comes from what you know because you are one spirit with God. I want my friend Laverne to come up. Last night she was sharing with us a significant testimony and I want you to hear this testimony. So so my sister has ALS. She was um, diagnosed last fall with ALS and so uh, and it's progressing extremely rapidly. She's already at the point now where she has no movement in any of her body. Her tongue is even starting to lose, like she can't talk anymore. So a few couple months ago, I was praying, and the Lord showed me. I asked the Lord, what does the enemy have on her that he is able to do this? And so he showed me. So I've been, like, wondering, what, what can we do about that? So then a few days ago, my sister and I got together, and want, my other sister, and we're praying for her. And we went into this place where I, 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 could, I could see the enemy like a horde of demons was just through hurtling accusations at her and lies and deception and just like accusing her day and night and on the other side of the room there was like this the the the, a white just the peace of god and the blood of jesus was there and i went before i went before god i came before god with this accusation and i didn't know how to how to pray you know how to i'm thinking okay God, I know she's done this, and I, I, I wanna, I wanna, um, I, I know that she's done other things right in her life, and so I, I wanna repent on her behalf. And I'm just like, I don't know how to pray about this. But as I started saying, as I started thinking about it, I realized, okay, she has done this, but I know that your blood has covered it. And as I started professing this and saying this, I started becoming clearer and clearer and clearer in my heart that the blood of Jesus has covered that. The blood of Jesus has covered her. The blood of Jesus has covered her sickness. The blood of Jesus has covered everything. Everything that the the enemy is hurtling. Every accusation he is throwing at her. Every lie he is speaking to her. Everything. Everything has been covered by the blood. And there is nothing that can come against the blood. There is no lie he can tell you that has not been covered by the blood. There is no sickness that you have right now that has not been covered by the blood. Every inch that we give the enemy, every time we listen to his his lies and agree with them, we are giving him ground that he does not legally have. He does not have the legal right to have any part of you at all because the moment that you were saved, you were covered under the blood. You became a new creation and God's love, God's blood has power over the enemy. God's blood has power over that sickness. God's blood has power over those lies. God's blood has power over poverty. His blood has covered it all. His blood has paid it all. His blood has redeemed it all. We need to stand in that revelation and take back what the enemy has stolen. We have to take it back because the enemy is a liar and a thief. 
and he is stealing from you. So take it back. Take it back because God has given you the power to overcome the enemy. Luke 10, 19. Stand in the power and the authority of his blood. You are a new creation. You are a new creation, Jesus. Amen. Now the question is this. Oh yeah, she was supposed to tell you that while she was praying, her own back was healed. And and she had years of back pain. And in that moment when she, she realized the efficacy of the blood of Jesus, it suddenly... It should be, you know, this is the thing. We don't realize that sometimes we're reluctant to receive something from God because we really don't believe we're worthy. And there's this shadow of shame that says, you better not ask for that. That's beyond your pay grade. You're not good enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not successful enough as a believer to expect that kind of miracle in your life. But the blood of Jesus says otherwise. The sacrifice that was made by Jesus dying on the cross has got to be enough to cover all of your sin. It's what gives you boldness to approach the throne of grace and to ask for things that you really don't deserve. We don't deserve it. In ourselves, it's not within our purview. But... He has made it ours by the mercy and the favor of God. So as we sing this last song, I pray today that you would step into that place of receiving everything, absolutely everything. Every time the enemy comes against you, the enemy says, well, it's because you had that evil thought yesterday. It's because you swore. It's because you were frustrated at your children. It's because of this or this or this. But you say, no, the blood of Jesus keeps me in right standing with God. And I have access to his throne, not because I'm perfect, but because he is perfect. Can we do that? You know, a lot of people will think you're weird, but I don't. A few years ago, I was in Ireland, and they took me to a few castles, and I remember going to this one castle, and uh, I went into this room. They said, this is the chapel, and I went into the room, and I thought, chapel? Like, the room was like six by six. You know, it was barely room for a handful of people. But, and I was struck with the oddness of this, the kind of thinking that would make this a quarter for religious exercise. And I thought, what kind of mindset is satisfied with this? And so I, as I stood there for a minute, I, I felt the thoughts of the religious mind. And I suddenly realized that the religious mind cannot think of the kingdom of God in the present. It can only think of the kingdom of God as remembering something that happened a long time ago or looking to something in the future that has not yet happened. And so everything is pensive. Everything is reflective. Everything is emotional. Just hoping and remembering. Hoping and remembering. The testimonies of the kingdom of God and the advance of God's reign in the earth has always 
coincided with a people who have the audacity to believe that God wants to do something in this present moment. Now, now, so Father, we pray, even as Laverne had that revelation, that this has been provided, that this is now. She just began to believe. Father, I pray you give us the kind of faith. Yes, God. The kind of faith that reaches through the veil. Yes. Yes. Father, give us the kind of faith as a church that reaches through the veil and causes people who don't understand but are nearby to say, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Can you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. All right. Just before I invite Gary to come up and join me here, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to sit down as, as though we're doing a television interview. We're going to chat. And, uh, but just before we do that, I wanted to say a couple of things about, um, about community. Um, you know, you, you've all probably heard me share this story before, but I remember watching an episode of King of Queens and uh, the, the plot of this episode was this couple who had somehow lost their best friends. But the, the, what they had was they had a tiny little circle of intimacy. They had themselves as a couple, and then they had their best friends. And, and that was it. So once they lost their best friends, their whole social world collapsed. And so they're out on a Saturday at Home Depot looking for new best friends. And, and the whole, you know, it's making fun of the lack of community and the lack of skills for building community. I want you to know that one of the greatest witnesses to the, uh, to the effect of God in our lives is the ability to create community. Yeah. Uh, the ability to press past the discomfort, the fear, the, uh, the expectations that everybody else has to be the first one to start the journey of relationship, and we become initiators, we become catalysts. And once you start to become known for that, uh, you know, that's an infectious thing. And I, I, won't, I won't tell you all the different ways, but you guys are known in this community for that. In fact, the city's trying to poach some of our people uh, because they just are noticing the amazing skills. They call them people skills, public relations skills. But it really, it's the effect of being freed from sin and the effect of being freed from the tyranny of self-absorption, which is what Christ does for us. And so uh, this community thing, it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an attractive element because the world is rapidly losing the capacity for community. And, uh, and so I just wanted to say that and uh, say to you, you know, continue to press in. And if you're here and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm still terrified. <laughs> yeah, but I, I still wake up in the morning and I don't want to be the one that says, hey, what's your name first? You know, the very nature of this journey is to pick up your cross. And the first element of picking up your cross means denying yourself. It means saying no to what you realize is unhelpful, ungodly behavior and doing the right thing. And you start it as a sacrifice, but after a while, something breaks. Something, the tyranny of something starts to get loosed off of your mind 
And you start becoming, I mean, I've been watching, I was telling Wendy the other day, there was a, a family I saw and I was standing behind this, this believer the other day and I was thinking, man, something is radically changing in her life. And I was saying, God, you're so amazing. You may not realize it, but things are changing, transforming in your life. God is making you into a different kind of person just through being here and in being in fellowship with one another. So just keep it up. All right, I could say lots of things, and as you know, I can talk. Uh, but I'm going to invite uh, Gary forward. Now, does Gary want to say something as a greeting to our church? Before? No? You know, my wife would not. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Gary, come on up and, and have a seat here. Well, let me just say to begin with, welcome to Community Church. Now, I know you were here in the congregation a couple of years ago once. Yeah. It was an investigative trip. What did you discover? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so the reason we invited Gary, and let me tell you the bit of the story, because we actually were inviting a number of prophetic apostolic leaders from across the province and uh, we, had, we had wanted Dennis Wiedrich because Dennis has a, a history with the church and we wanted him to teach on the laying on of hands and then, you know, we were going to do some things, but he has run into some medical complications and so, so it didn't work out for him to come. So we are going to do another laying on of hands time, a commissioning, something more of a commissioning, but tonight we are going to do an anointing service. Uh, and what that means is, is that, uh, well, let me put it this way. Romans 1.11, Paul is writing to the Roman, uh, Roman church and he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And so uh, when, when we lay hands on each other, it's more than, you know, I, I love people laying hands on me. I love hugs. I love physical touch. It's great. It always ministers to me. Some of you, not so much. But, uh, but you're getting better at hugs anyway. You know, but there's something dynamic and spiritual that's transferred through the laying on of hands. And, uh, and so we need that and we're going to do that tonight. But as I talked to Gary and invited him, because I really felt this would be a significant time for him to come. He's never been here as a speaker or a guest minister. So I thought, well, let, why don't we do this as an introduction? And as we talked, he had a couple of really great stories. Uh, one of them was you as a young man. Can you, why don't you tell us that? And feel free to step in and share yeah. any, any moment. Well, thank you, Pastor, and, uh, and all of you, for your love for Christ, your sincere service to the Lord. Uh, you are light and life to this community, to this province. Uh, Jesus is the hope of the world. He expresses himself through you. So you're the hope of the world. So thank you for who you are, what you're doing, what your faith is aiming for. Anyway, so great to be with you. Yeah, uh, time back when uh, some significant spiritual redirections happened in my life through the laying on of hands, the impartation of a spiritual gift, maybe a faith expression by those who were praying for me. Uh, the, the, the precursor to all this is that God created us as ever-living, never-dying souls. Mm -hmm. right. Right. Yeah. Right. 
But there are two blueprints on file for your life. There's a blueprint that God has for you, has for you, when he created you as an ever-living, never-dying soul. And there's another bit for your life. You probably read Luke 22, where Jesus said, Peter, by the way, Satan has made a bid for you. Right. He wants to send you. He wants to make something different out of your life that I want to make out of your life. Right. And uh, as you say, in Romans, uh, Paul said, when I come to you, Romans 15, he says, I anticipate coming to you in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. That's blueprint one. The blueprint two is one that is uh, contorted, as you said, self-absorbed. It's a self-directed life, not a God-directed life. It's the life that once you self-direct, you end up entangled in the barbed wire of habits and all sorts of addictive things that's part of the second blueprint for your life. Satan, Satan hates you and has a plan for your life. God loves you and has a plan for your life. But Satan would like to entangle you in all kinds of things that will ensnare you into, of course, his eternal prayer. So back to this. I'm a little plain vanilla, single barrel, one horse church in southern Alberta, nothing fancy, uh, real, real plain vanilla. And, uh, but you know, don't underestimate yeah. what God can do yeah. in an unpretentious situation. We didn't have all the bells and whistles and love, fancy racing stripes in some churches. But when God is there, yeah. don't don't think this isn't going anywhere. And uh, so in this little ordinary church, they did things in a very you know, humble, often repetitive kind of way. We had church in the morning. We had evening services like you're proposing tonight. Now I remember um, we would go and pray after the service. We'd go to a little side room, a little small uh, you know, church. And I'm there because God put a hunger for his blueprint in my life. Right. And so I think, how do I, how do I work this out? How do I find it? So I'm there praying. And uh, kneeling, you know, probably, you know, 11 years old. And, uh, but the older saints of God, they would come around and they would pray for whoever. But here's a young kid, they think, oh, look at that, you know. And they lay hands on him. And I remember them praying with and they're shaking as they're praying. Oh God, take this young boy, use it, make something out of his life. Wow. Little far-flung country kid living in a little dirt farm. You know what? What's that going to happen to him? You know? They're saying, no. God, make something out of this boy. Use him for your purposes. Come on and by your anointing. Yes. He said, Well, what, 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 what can happen out of this? You know, it's just somebody's word. Right, right. Well, I can tell you what happens at first. Right. Because I tasted some of the second blueprint. You know, until anything in spiritual warfare, Satan's bid for my life. But it was the prevailing grace of God that turned me from what I could have been and should have been to what God wanted me to be. And that, that prayer of faith that they prayed, and my, my aspiration, my desire was, whatever they were praying, uh, 
sometimes we don't even understand what to pray more. We, we went to Carrie's grandparents who didn't speak English very well. Polish, Russian, Yiddish, and I don't know, whatever else. We said, we mailed, we mailed all our kids down. And we said, Grandpa went, would you lay hands on our family and pray for us? Wow. And uh, he says, I guess pray in English. I don't care what you might pray. Just pray from your spirit. Yes. Transfer that, you know, grandparental blessing yes. to these kids. And so we knelt in their little humble apartment and they prayed in German or Polish or whatever they prayed over us. Our kids were all serving God. They've come through whatever. You know, that sort of stuff. That abides. So the prayer in the little prayer room in the plain vanilla church, the prayer of godly grandparents yeah. saying, God, don't let Satan's blueprint come about. Okay. Wow. And uh, I look at this. It doesn't work. Well, I'll tell you it works. Because I'm living it. Yeah. Yes. This is not a fantasy story. That's so good. So those are a couple of snapshots. Yeah, you know, it's amazing because even when you're talking about the story, as you sort of, you know, zero it in on the testimony of this couple, I felt a release of the anointing at that point. And so and I, want to, I want to highlight that because I need us to come tonight with expectation. I, I need us to come because the level of your faith expectation will determine what kind of impartation that you get. It is, it's not the whole enchilada, but it is a big determiner of whether you receive something or not. And, uh, and so I, I just want to challenge you to do that. I think uh, we, we talked about this uh, a couple of months ago. I, I'm pretty sure I talked on this, but you remember the woman with the issue of blood because she said inside of herself, if I could just touch the, the, the edge of his garment, I'm going to get something. If I could just touch, uh, and sure enough, power was transferred and Jesus said, I felt virtue go out from me. That this is a, the, the conduit of faith and the physical contact is a meaningful medium for the release of spiritual power. And so you can expect that tonight. I was thinking of this. I want to make sure we cover these scriptures. Numbers 11, 24 to 25. See, I, this is both Old Testament and New Testament. And in this scripture, it says, So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. And what the Lord had said, he was talking about a number of things, but it had to do with the impartation. And he says, He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. Listen to this. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him, that was on Moses, and put it on the 70 elders. Isn't that amazing? What a fun, you know, these things are written for our example. They're, they're there as a template to tell us this is the way that God can transfer anointing. And it says that uh, when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. So all of a sudden, that overflow of the power of God, they begin to prophesy. But they never did so again. And, uh, and it, which is, that makes me wonder. Actually, when I was reading that this morning, I was thinking, well, did they never prophesy again because God willed it? Or because they didn't know how to cooperate with the impartation that they got? 
you know, which is a question is unanswered for now. But anyway, so, so this is, I believe, very significant. And I was so taken by this that when I was a young Christian at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas in 1982, uh, we had a, a, a global speaker. We had all these amazing ministers coming in, Reinhard Bonnke and just, I mean, the who's who of, of the, the global picture would come in for a week and teach. And I would go to every single speaker and at, you know, some, at some point I'd say, could you lay hands on me and impart something? And I remember I had one key moment, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he used to write a prophetic column on the back of the Christ of the Nation's Voice of Healing magazine every month. And Charles Durnham, that, that was his name. He, he knew Smith Wigglesworth in person. Like he, was, he was old at the time. And I remember he, he said, he started praying for me. And he said, Lord, I've never done this before, and I'll probably never do it again. But he began to pray for the release of the spirit that was on him onto me. But you know what? That man died uh, within three months of that laying on of hands. And I believe that I received a, at least a part of his mantle. And so, you know, you can't decide what you're qualified for, right? You, and, and I don't decide. When we lay hands on you, I don't decide what we're giving you. But I know that the something of the heart of God, something of the will of God will be transferred. At the very least, there will be an anointing of power that, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, electricity that surges through your house system. It'll, it'll, it'll top you up in, in significant ways. And so I really want you to expect that. Now, you had another story um, about, I think it was, I hope you remember, about Rick Renner. Or, Rick Warren. Okay, yeah. That was a cool story. And we were in a session with uh, Rick Warren's group of Canadian pastors. And he said, you know, you know the background there where he came and started a church by leading his real church to the Lord. So there's not much bench depth. And that's how he started the church. And then a few came, more than two to thousands, and then global impact. But he said, I've had a, a practice that I've tried to follow. And that is whenever I was with someone that was uh, in the Lord before I was, like Romans writes about or whatever, uh, just I felt there was a spiritual standing there that God could say, you know, before we go, could you just lay hands on me and pray for me? And uh, he said, I just did that word right away. It's been a habit. It's been a practice. Mm-hmm. And he said, I heard, you know, the pastor at that time, the largest church in the world, Young uh, Cho. Korea was in the area and he said, I want to go and hear him preach because God has used him mightily to see such a world impact. And he said, We were all crammed into this hallways in the stadium. And you know, the crowd was jostling and it was, there were too many people in there. And he said, I ended up getting bumped. There's a door or a double door or something. He said, It just busted open and I fell into the room out of the hallway. But it was the the pre-meeting uh, leader's room. And he says, I looked up, and there's the other people. And so I had to get out of there. He didn't want to interrupt. He didn't want to be inappropriate. But he said, could you just lay hands on me? And he had to you know, first of faith who understands the importance of, of anointing, joint faith, and all of this. Sort of, he complied. He said, just lay hands on this little Young guy, that time kind of nobody, pray for him, pray for him. 
I thought, what? And that's why we have done that with family, with others, where we go, just say, uh, we believe there's a lot more to Christian life than just this. But get into a company of someone who's uh, under God's hand. Say, you know, you have a moment. Just lay hands on us. Pray for us. Pray for our kids. Pray for us. Um, you know, you expose yourself to the realm and power of God in many yes. different ways. And this is an important yeah. one that we do. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, the biblical... Um, Reference to it that's the most significant, I think, is probably Hebrews 6 1 to 3. And Paul, well, actually, it's not Paul, it's I don't believe it's Paul, but it's the Hebrew writer. We don't know who it is, something it was Paul. I don't believe it was, but uh, it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and to faith in God, instructing about cleansing rites, the laying on, uh, and then he says, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So these are the, the, the uh, elementary foundations, okay? They are repentance towards dead works. Uh, they are faith in God. In uh, baptisms is what another ref- um, a biblical translation says, the laying on of hands, resurrection for the dead in eternal judgment. These are the basic teachings in Christ. And so one of them is the laying on of hands. And so uh, as, we, as we gather tonight, you know, I, w- I want you to really, you know, maybe you want to t- spend some time praying before the service. Maybe spend some time, uh, maybe take the afternoon to fast, I don't know. Maybe you already got a chicken in the oven, but but uh, and let me just go back and say the reason we're doing this because we believe in this. But I felt a word from the Lord that we needed to do more laying on of hands and anointing the body for service, and it came spontaneously some months ago. And you may remember, I came in one morning and I felt the Lord spoke to me, anoint Chris and Jen. So we had brought them in, we had made them the lead pastors. Uh, as uh, as a part of the church, but we never had an inductive commissioning ceremony, and so I thought, okay, I need to do this, and I felt that urgency that I needed to do it that morning. I'm kind of like that, I, uh, off the cuff, but so we we did that, and as after we're finished, I suddenly felt like we were remiss in not doing this more, and so I said, you know what, we need to do more anointing services. What I didn't know is we had somebody who had just come from a very, what I'd call a high-level prophetic school in Scotland with Emma Stark, and one of the last things that she was told before coming was this, that the Church of North America has been lacking, that the apostolic uh, leaders have been unwilling or complacent in laying on of hands and impartation and that it was causing a weakness in the Church of North America. And that was the last things that she was told before coming from Scotland. And so, you know, as God would have it, that morning, sort of a convergence of things, so it was a great, that was a wonderful confirmation that this was not just a good feeling and a good idea, but a part of a divine strategy. And so... um, 
Uh, we're going we're gonna to close here right away for this morning. Uh, I'll give you a, a, any last words you want to share, and then I'm going to have you maybe pray for us in preparation for tonight. Well, this, I think this is just consistent with how the people of the mind of Christ have the spirit of The world doesn't look that way. The world tries to make the right lunch appointments and to hop and hop and to work the room right. and to try and advance themselves in right. worthy ways. How do believers think? That's right. How do believers think? We think of these kinds That's of right. Things. Because we want to come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. So these are the otherworldly types yeah. of things that we do. Many of them. But this is one of them. So I just think you're spot on. Thank you. So good. All right, you know, I should share one last story. It was at Central Pentecostal in the year 1981. Uh, I, had, I, I had been born again. Well, actually, I was backslidden from 15, but at 18, or no, 19 years old, I had a visitation in a bar in Coal Lake, Alberta. The glory of the Lord came in the bar where I was. And the next morning, uh, I, said, I said to my mom, I'm, I'm going, going to Bible school. And they wouldn't take me till until the, the, the spring semester at Christ for the Nations. So I came to Edmonton, and I started attending uh, Central Tabernacle. And I was dealing with a very significant problem in my life. Maybe all of you don't know, but, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I was sexually molested as a young child. Uh, the, the roots of our family are filled with alcoholism and the occult. But God interrupted our blueprint of our family and brought redemption to us. Even so, I was struggling with a very significant sin issue that, that uh, I just, I mean, a compelling demonic uh, uh, heaviness in my life. And I asked the pastoral team at that time if they could pray for me and I confessed some of the sins that were still, because when I, I, I didn't get saved because I was pure. I got saved because the glory of the Lord knocked me off my proverbial mule. And, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll follow. But I didn't even know what it meant, and I didn't know how to do it. So I came with no assumptions. I just, okay, what do I do? And this, this was one of those moments where the Lord said, you cannot continue until this changes. So I asked the, them, and they gathered around me. And I didn't feel anything in particular, but from that night forward, something significant changed in my life. So there's, there's a range of expectations that you can have depending on where you're at right now. Believe, okay? Come believing that this is your night. Amen? All right, well, bless you all. Yeah, that's just uh, excellent. Thank you both for sharing all of that. Uh, Truly appreciate it. Thank you both just for coming all the way out here too, right? You know, I'm just sitting there thinking because I remember that time that you guys prayed for us. And I also remember when I renewed my credentials with the Payock and Corey Randall and the rest of the team. They came around me and I just felt the presence of God. But it wasn't just that moment where this is just for me. It was like God gave me something and now I was meant to bring it to others. And I honestly believe the favor that we have in our community, with our city, uh, with the homeless in so many other areas, is because we've been anointed for the work of the ministry. And so it's not us that goes. It's him through us. We are his hands and his feet. And so I believe that for many of you, God is calling you to take that next step in your journey. 
I believe he's calling you to, to take a step of faith in whatever area it is, however he's calling you out. And I believe tonight is a very important key for this, that you will be anointed for the work of the ministry. It's going to be really, really beautiful. Bless you in Jesus' name, and we'll see you tonight. Amen. Amen.